invite you to turn in your Bibles again now to the book of Exodus, the fourth chapter. We will continue a little bit of our look at this account with Moses meeting God at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 18. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. But I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seen, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. And take your hand in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Just a little bit of review from this morning. We looked at Moses in his first encounter with the burning bush and God calling Moses to go back to Egypt, in which Moses proceeded to then start giving excuses of why he was just not the right person for the job. We looked at this first 
excuse of saying, well, who am I? And looked at it as a misdirected question because it was centered on him. And that God was revealing to them, and it wasn't really about you, Moses. And he didn't answer it. He did answer the question, but his answer was not, oh, Moses, look at all these great things you can do. There's a reason I'm asking you to do this. He answered it by simply saying, I'm with you. Very very reminiscent, really, isn't it, of Paul's um, writing to say uh, when he was talking with God and requesting God to take away the thorn in the flesh and God responds to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient. And there's an element in which we come to God where we lose our bargaining <laughs> because God is who he is. And we have to accept that by faith and trust that he is God and that he knows what he's doing. But like children, sometimes we come up with excuses. It's interesting, too, in the passage in Matthew we read that uh, the disciples, when, when God talked about, or excuse me, when uh, the, the, Jesus said the temple was going to be destroyed, and the disciples answered and said, when is this going to happen? And when is going to be the end of the age? When's going to be the end of time? Because what was established in the Jewish mindset was the presence of God was everything. And it became centered upon the temple. And so in the Jewish thinking and in the disciples' thinking at that time, the destruction of the temple meant God's presence no longer going to be with them, so it must be the end of the world. God's answer to Moses is, I will be with you. Jesus answered when he commissioned his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew is, I will not leave you or forsake you. I will be with you to the end of time. And there, that's why there's so much emphasis on his giving of the Holy Spirit. And, and that God's presence was not bound by bricks and mortar. And so that's why we take heart. Next excuse, Moses, what is the, well, what's your name? Who, who am I going to say sent me? And so God gave him the name, I am who I am, which encompassed so much. He's the eternal God, the God who created the universe, the personal God who knows and intervenes in the lives of his people. And in summary, we went a little bit in length of how important it is that when we come and look at our service to God, while he calls us as human beings, our identity is not in what we accomplish or what we can do, but it's in Christ. And when we understand and know our identity in Christ, then when he calls us to do something, we're not going to be as willing to make excuses or reluctant to do what he says because we'll be trusting him. We'll know he's with us. We'll understand I am the great I am, the one who promised to never leave or forsake us is going before us. So in tonight's passage, we come to the third excuse in verse 1 through 9. And this excuse is... is um, 
they all take a little bit different tack, but this excuse is, well, you know, you've, you've told me these things, God, and you've, you've revealed what your name is and everything, but what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And what if they say you really didn't appear to me? Again, not trying to be too hard on Moses, but it, it's kind of like, Moses, I'm sorry if you get your feelings hurt because you don't, don't get enough likes from the people in Israel. I'm calling you to go back and be my instrument in delivering people. But as we as parents are with our children, God is patient. And he says, all right, even though this, these excuses don't really hold a lot of water, Moses, this is your concern. They're not going to believe you. They're not going to listen to you. You're, you're, you're afraid that they're going to think you're a fraud and just dreaming things up about God meeting with you here. I'm going to give you some signs that will be, be signals to them that they will listen to you. And so he provides Moses with some miraculous signs. The first miraculous sign is, is throwing down the staff and the staff turning into a snake, into a serpent. And uh, Moses did the appropriate thing and ran from it. Uh, and, but uh, God told him to grab it by the tail, and he did, and it returned back to his staff. Now, this is almost akin to me of, of uh, Jesus walking on the water, defying um, you know, what people would say is, is humanly possible to happen. This was a supernatural event. Uh, Staffs don't turn into snakes, and snakes don't turn back into staffs. This is a powerful sign, and it's a sign that Moses has been given power to do things that are humanly impossible. That should speak very loudly to them. The second sign uh, was that of him putting his hand in his garment, pulling it out, and it'd be leprous. And then putting it back in and pulling back out, it's no longer leprous. Again, both of these signs uh, convey the idea that the power of God is at work to do what they may think is humanly impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so these are a sign that, that reveal three things. The first two, these demonstrate God's power, that he is able to do what he says he's going to do. He says, I'm going to deliver you. These signs, if he can do these things, then he should have the power to deliver you. The other, I would say, the second sign with the leprosy is also, how, how many signs do you need? All right. So the first one is really showing the power. The second one is also showing the power but he's giving them a second one really to say, God's also patient. So he's showing his power and he's showing his patience because these are people who need to be persuaded. They need to be convinced. Um, and again, our, those of us who've raised children, uh, do we always expect them to get it the first time? And so sometimes it, it, it takes being patient 
and demonstrating things maybe a different way. The third one that was shown here, though, is if they don't believe in a, a little bit different category, and, and I, I believe the passage even shows that it's a little bit different category. The first two were clearly given these, if they don't believe this, then I have this one, which were both showing the supernatural power, uh, a demonstration of power that Moses had. But then it, and it kind of went a different tack on the last one, because it says, if they don't listen to the first or the second sign, if they don't believe these two signs, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Now, I believe this shows not just another example of, of power and the patience of God, but I think it's taking it to a little bit different level. Because anytime you see blood being purposefully used, it's usually in a sense of judgment. Um, and we'll see later uh, in the Exodus event, you know, what was used to put over the doorpost, blood. Um, several incidences through, throughout the scripture. Even when God uh, had his, his covenant, made his covenant with Abram, right? Uh, the animals were cut in two and, and put on each side. And, and uh, only the Spirit of the Lord passed through them. But when they established a covenant like that, which typically in the Old Testament, if a covenant was made like that, both parties would walk through. But God swore to himself, I will keep this covenant. And the symbolicness of, is that a word? The, the symbol of the, the, the animals being torn in two and cut is, is that if I break my word, so let it happen as to me as to happen to them. It was a sign of blood and of judgment. And so the third sign not only showed his power and patience, but it was like, if you don't listen to the power of God, you need to understand this is a holy God who is able to judge. And he does so. And, and we see, again, through the uh, plagues, with the final plague, he did just that with the sign of blood. So God provides him those things in that third excuse that Moses had. And then he comes to the fourth excuse, and this is one I want to spend just a little bit of time on. Moses says to the Lord in this verse 10, Oh, Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God has just demonstrated his ability to do what he pleases. God has revealed himself as the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all things, the beginning and the alpha and the omega, the one who was and is and is to come. This is not so much a challenge, excuse me, this is not a challenge to Moses' ability, but to God's ability. And that's why I think God responds just a little bit more brusquely with this one. 
We spoke this earlier uh, morning about how God revealed himself as the one who knows all things. In fact, I'll get a little ahead of ourselves. God had already prepared Aaron to come before he even mentioned anything about his stuttering. God has already demonstrated. He's all-knowing and all-powerful. He's demonstrating... He's demonstrated he will provide with miraculous sun, signs. excuse me. And he had already provided Aaron before this conversation even started. God says, Moses, I'm not calling you because you're a good speaker. And it's almost insulting for you to insinuate that. Now go. <laughs> you ever done that with your kids? <laughs> But there's an important lesson to learn here. God has called us in his mercy and his grace to come into a personal knowledge relationship with him. And he didn't call you because you were smart. He didn't call you because you could speak well. He didn't call you because you're wealthy. He didn't call you because of your athletic abilities. He didn't call you for any of those things. You know why he called you? Because he loves you with an everlasting love. Let that sink in. Let that humble you. God calls you because he loves you. And his grace is sufficient for you in all he asks you to do and be. We could sit and count all our faults all night long and we'd be correct and all the things that we've done wrong in the past we've all got more than we could fill a book with this morning we talked about Moses might have been reluctant to call because he's oh God think of my past how much I failed you in the, in, in the past I wasn't a very good deliverer and look what I am now I'm just an old shepherd I'm, I'm a has-been God says, I'll take your past, I'll take your present, because I'll be your future. Follow me. Trust in me. Take my yoke upon you. Sometimes it's hard to let somebody love us that way, isn't it? We keep thinking, no, there's something I've got to add to it on my own. It can't be just that free. Don't tell God how to spend his love. If he wants to use his love on you, just get down on your knees and thank him. Return to him the excellencies of his glory and praise. If he wants to turn you into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people unto him, a people who used to not know him but now are the people of God, who didn't know mercy but now have his mercy, it's hard to receive a free gift sometimes, isn't it? But it's when we come to that, then we come to a point of really being used because we truly understand it's not about me. And then we come to the bottom line for Moses, really. These excuses were just smoke. The bottom line was, okay, God, you've, 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 you've taken away all of my excuses. But please, send somebody else. I just don't want to do it. And isn't that really what it amounts to? 
our excuses are really weak and frail. And 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 when they're when they're dissected, they really don't hold much weight. And we got to be scratching our heads, saying, "What am I doing debating with God?" But it's not because, again, that you know He really needs what I can contribute to the team. I forget exactly when it was, but it was really a liberating thing. I was in an organization that loves to give out awards, and it, I think it was Napoleon who said, if I would have had enough ribbon, I could have conquered Europe. And so it's a system that was built upon getting promoted, advancing in, in positions, in certain things. It's really tempting to think, all right, this is all right. Okay, I'm, you get pats on the backs and things. And then I came across a situation. It's my second or third assignment. And I, I came across this individual who had no business being on a military installation. In fact, they were about as unmilitary a person as I, you can meet. They somehow found my office and came in and said, will you sit down and talk with me? And I was like, you found your way here? All right, I'll do that. And the more that their story unfolded, the more I kept just saying, God, how in the world and what are you doing here? But I had, a, I had the thought, you know, God, what if this is the entire reason you brought me to this location at this time? What if maybe to have this time with this person is the entire time you brought me into the chaplaincy and into the military? None of that stuff had anything to do about me, but it was about somebody that God was working on in their heart. That was really freeing. So I could quit worrying about promotions. I could quit worrying about assignments. And I could just focus on, God, what is it you want to accomplish? Now, I wish I could say I perfected that thought. God's still at work. But isn't that kind of the way God works? Because remember going back to the first of this passage, hey, Moses, I'm calling you because I'm here, my people who are in need and being oppressed. Moses is all wrapped up in how this is going to impact him and why is he going to do this and and, and, and what's going to happen down the road? Well, I, I need to know what your name is. I need, I need these signs and everything like that. God's purpose and focus is on the people he's going to deliver. Moses is just an instrument. And God has simply ordained it that he will take flawed instruments like Moses and like me like you and do amazing things for someone else he puts in your life because who knows he may love them with an everlasting love as well 
and he's accomplishing something for them through you. The gospel comes to you, as we said this morning, to go through you. You were reconciled. You were bought with a price. And that is to become a reconciler for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And as I said, he will take your past with all its flaws and sin, and he will take your present wherever you may be in life. You may be just a young student in elementary school or junior high. You may be a young parent. You may be older, older than me. He'll take you where you are and use you for his purposes. In our weakness, we see his strength. And what is he accomplishing all through all this? As I alluded to earlier, he is establishing a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And the author of Hebrews also reminds us, using the illustration from the Exodus and all of these dramatic events that Moses and the other people experienced. But he says to us, we have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to immeasurable, innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your presence. Forgive us when we look more to ourselves than to you. Lord, thank you for reconciling us. Teach us what it means to be reconcilers in this world. Teach us what it means to humble ourselves before you to be in awe. Teach us what it means to be obedient and to trust and relish in your love that you have poured out upon us. Pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.